Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. That's right. It's a T. Watts and TR edition of the BOL Pod on a Tuesday, February the 22nd, 2022. All twos on this Tuesday. Tim, how about that? Yeah, that's a nice one. It's a good little lead in. So is it is it David Palmer Day? Is it Najee Harris Day with all these twos? Is it for the old heads? Maybe Johnny Musso Day for the Alabama fans today. Is it Chris Ryder Day? Oh, geez. Is yeah, we're going Chris back Ryder a ways. <laughs> is it Chris Ryder Day? How you the, the, the Bulls edition. Anyway. Oh, for me. How are you forgetting your brother here? Tupac, too. Yeah, he was number you know, two. I you forget a little bro. And his senior quote at the prestigious bowl school, which made it even better, right, Tim? Oh, Going bowls for what it is. They had to, they had uh, to look it up. They had to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> had to look oh, up. my gosh. Yeah, there's all kinds of twos. You know, if the state of Alabama had a lottery, we could maybe go play some twos Absolutely. on this Tuesday. Well, everybody has a lottery but us, right? I think pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much about it. Speaking of lottery, some lottery picks involved in the NBA All-Star Weekend over these last four or five days. Uh, Tim, how much consumption would you say of NBA All-Star Weekend that uh, that you had over the weekend? You know, I know how old I sound when I say it, but I, I just can't watch it. You know, I can't. I mean, I can see the highlights and still the three-point shootout. I mean, I got no problem with it. I mean, it's entertaining. It's, you know, it's star-packed and all that stuff. My kids love it. They all, you know, they all got together and watched it. But for me, just the, you know, not that the, our NBA all-star games were super defense. Nobody was slapping the floor, but it was a semblance of a basketball game. Um, you know, the, the dunk contest is just, you know, so different, you know, when you don't have the best players dunking. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, not that those guys are bad. I mean, Obi Toppin, you know, can dunk, obviously Cole Anthony's a, especially in game, he's a good dunker. So it just doesn't have the star power. And then the game, you know, it's good. I saw the highlights mainly. It's just hard. It's just hard for me to watch having grown up and it was a different level. But I I get what it is now. Same thing as, the, you know, the NFL Pro Bowl. It's the same thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not anti-NBA or the regular season or certainly the playoffs. But my consumption of All-Star Weekend lined up with uh, sort of a Dean Wormer um, review, 0.0. I had a Blatarski GPA level of consumption for All-Star Weekend. I did like this about the 75th anniversary uh, of the NBA. They announced their their 75th anniversary team. So it was cool to see some of the, the selections, both past and present. I was happy to see guys like Moses Malone and James Worthy as an older guy, you know, along that list, on that list of 75 players. And I thought in terms of active players, Tim, Giannis, Steph Curry, AD, KD, Harden, LeBron, Kawhi, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. Interesting to see them take places among the all-time 75. No Kyrie Irving, though, Tim, on that list. Does that strike you a little bit as odd? Eh, not really. I mean, Kyrie, you know, you kind of forget about him. He hasn't played so much this year and, you know, missing basketball. I mean, he's obviously he's one of the one of the best players ever in the NBA. Um, I like to go back to James Worthy, who's a guy, you know, it's like yeah. he, nobody talks about James Worthy. Dude could run that wing. Tim. I mean, Oof. it was amazing. I mean, it was not only, you know, everybody's like, 
You know, that call is the NBA rigged. Yeah, it's rigged. I mean, the Lakers got James Worthy. Celtics got <laughs> Yeah, it's rigged. You know, every time the Pelicans trade a great player, AD or Chris Paul, the Pelicans get the number one pick every time they agree to trade that player. That's a true statement. That's how they got Zion and AD. But, um, yeah, James Worthy running that wing on that fast break, and they're doing an HBO show coming out I'm pretty excited about. Uh, winning time or something. I forget what it's called, but it's going to be good. But, yeah, Worthy was a heck of a basketball player, could run at that size, nice little mid-range shot, and that team was just a lot of fun. When uh, you think about it in retrospect, it was almost like Dr. J playing with Kareem and Magic on that wing. You know, if you'd have put Dr. J – on the wing, running in that break, you would have essentially had what James Worthy gave the Lakers. They were just phenomenal back in those days of Magic, Bird, Dr. J, my Sixers back in the day. It took Moses Malone coming on board there in 1983 to get Doc over the hump. But, yeah, that was about the extent of my interest in NBA All-Star. Yeah, it's good. I, I do enjoy – You know, that's a good point you brought up. I do enjoy seeing – Charles Barkley and Dr. J talk, and I do enjoy seeing the highlights of Spike Lee asking Dr. J for a autograph and all that little stuff. Michael Jordan hugging Kobe Bryant's widow. All those little moments are cool, you know, it's, you know that fraternity for the NBA. But the game itself, I mean, not really. I mean, it was good to see Curry go crazy. You know the thing, Curry shines in that game so much because he's a showboat. He's an entertainer is what he is. And Yeah, he uh, gets it. Yeah. I mean, he was shooting the three. I mean, I saw how he shot a three, turned around and asked the crowd, and he said, did it win? Oh, it did, and he took off running. And, um, you know, one time he shot from 30 feet and just stopped and went backwards celebrating, uh, turned around and ran down the court. So that game, the all-star game, he that that's his that's his time to shine. Now, you know, a guy like Jokic, I saw a lot of the Joker didn't play in the fourth quarter. Of course he didn't. That's not, that's not, a, that's not the game for everybody now. You That's, that's not a uh, – that's not a game for everybody. So, I mean, as far as the, you know, in and out, and you know, you know, there's not really a lot of set plays, but nah, I could, uh, I like the highlights, but you know, it is what it is. No Alabama players on that 75th anniversary team. So let me ask you this 25 years from now, if, and when the NBA does a 100th golden anniversary team, I guess golden double, that'd be double good golden's 50, but they do a hundred anniversary team uh an alabama player currently with alabama or in the nba that you think could have the kind of career that would put them in that type of company among the top 100 players all time in the nba you know i think collins the low-hanging fruit if you're you know if you're looking at it that way um but i i've got really high hopes for josh primo i watch him when i find out you know i don't watch a every San Antonio game. But when he's in the game, I'm watching San Antonio. I flip over there. He had a terrible shoot night the other night. But, dude, there's something special about that kid. He's young. He's 18. He's got size. He's got a jumper. He's so bouncy. You know, he's almost like a, you know, he's almost like a rabbit running. You know, when he runs, he bounces, you know, in a cartoon rabbit. He's very bouncy, good size, good shot. I think he's got a chance to be really special. And he's 18 maybe 19 years old now, even young for his age. So I think he has a chance. Obviously, Sexton's going to be a guy that draws a lot of attention coming off that uh, coming off that injury. But, you know, those those would be my top two. Um, what about Herb? Gosh, would it be man. crazy if Herb Jones ended up being one of the top 100 players in NBA history? I know right now it's well, a bit of a long shot. 
you know, I just don't think people, you know, her basically is like, you don't really, you really, people don't talk about it. I mean, people, I mean, I mean, we discussed this before, but even some Alabama fans felt that this team would be better off without him, you know, which is, that's pretty wild talk. And you put him in the NBA, he does something every night, but it's always, it's not always something sexy and something people are, are going to notice. You know, a lesser Dennis Rodman type, you know, obviously. Yeah. Ron Artest. I mean, the value of even Sprewell wasn't yeah. probably valued enough yes. back in his day. Value of these guys for a coach is immense. Now, as fans, probably not as much. I don't know how many reverse dunks you know Herb's going to have, even though he's had some nice dunks. But uh, certainly, I think you know just his rookie year, the respect he's got from uh, opposing teams has been has been very impressive. Yeah, you know what else was impressive on Sunday, Tim? I checked off another sports bucket list. That's right. Made the trip to the Daytona 500. Not much of a NASCAR fan, but we've got some friends who are. Been to Talladega a couple times. What's your experience, if any, with NASCAR in person? Have you done a NASCAR race, Tim, at any point? Yeah, I used to work before I got into this. I worked for a – we used to do some of the the baseball games and the races – I don't like them. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know. My first experience with my older brother, Audie, who passed away, he's a hippie, 17 years older than me, different generation, is they stuck me in a bread truck underneath a mattress, hide me to sneak me in to Talladega with nice. four other kids. And I had quite the experience. I saw my first breasts. Which oh, which I found out all breasts are not equal and good. They weren't from Chick-fil-A. Um, uh, yeah, some some have tattoos on them and are kind of long, but they uh, got pretty sure I got high off the gas intake, smelling the gas. Yeah. Uh, complete headache the whole day. So that was my first experience. Now, it? did you guys infield at Talladega? Is that what the deal was, I'm guessing? Yeah. Absolutely. We were in the infield. I could smell the gas. Wow. Sunburned. They snuck me in the bread <laughs> truck, sunburned bread truck. We're hiding in the back. As an adult, I probably would have had a much a bunch better time. Um, as a kid, I was like, "This this terrible." I mean, I did see some boobs, there were, you know, some flashing out there and stuff like that. So, but then I did work for Fox, uh, a, a company in Alabama that did uh, some of the the Fox stuff, and I did Talladega. I was in that final turn coming down to yeah. the stretch. I took a TV and watched NFL games and had everybody. <laughs> Everybody talking trash to me. All I had to do was make sure the microphone was aimed in the right direction to catch the sound. Right. So I had on headphones. I didn't have to hear a lot, but I had. I knew how serious what I had. I probably had 20 very hot girls at different stages come to sit with me, pretend to talk with me just to see them coming down the stretch. So I knew that uh, it was it was a pretty popular sport. Yeah, Daytona, more polished, uh, more of a glitz feel to it, for sure, whereas Talladega, last time I was there a couple of years ago, more of a retro feel, which I can appreciate that as well. Uh, more fan-friendly, I would say, Daytona in terms of the the speedway and the, the, the viewing areas, the concourses, concession options, those type of things, space underneath uh, the bleachers there at Daytona, but... A lot of fun. I'm kind of like you, I think, though. I, I'm very impressed when they fire up the engines. Charles Woodson, by the way, was your honorary race starter, and I had a Tennessee wow. fan in front of me boo him. Still oh. not over that Peyton Manning Heisman yeah. Trophy loss. But 
they fire up those engines, very impressive. And then the first couple laps, it's breathtaking. And then about 10 laps in, I'm thinking, uh, where are the sausage dogs and maybe the cold beer? Where are those at? I'm going down. Yeah, um, it's a series. I mean, I didn't know NASCAR had changed so much. We got into collecting cards, and um, uh, we ended up buying a box of cards for my son, Graydon, and he opened NASCAR. And, dude, I had no idea there were so many women and minorities. Yeah. I had no idea. Like, I had. Bubba Wallace damn near won the race Sunday. Yeah, I thought mean, it was a big deal. That was, second. I didn't know there. Yeah, I didn't know it was quite diverse now. It was, it was a little bit. I did not expect it. I mean, I never watch it, so I don't know. And even if I watch it, I don't really know who's behind, you know, who's in the yeah. car to begin with. That's me, pretty much. Hey, let's get into some Alabama topics as we move along here on the Bama Online Podcast with BOL site publisher Tim Watts. I'm Travis Ryer. Some potential big news, it sounds like, for Alabama on the football recruiting trail for the 2023 cycle coming up later this afternoon we've talked about the potential for a massive impact from in-state prospects for this next Alabama class under Nick Saban and uh, a guy who could really get that going I guess coming up later this afternoon Tim yeah you know you, you when you look at uh, Jaleel Hurley um he had early on he was supposed to commit and decided to wait a little bit you know and I don't blame him I mean the I think the problem is now anytime a kid delays his announcement, you know, there's people that, you know, that the the negative, the half full, glass full kind of guys are going to freak out a little bit, which is what happened with him. But I don't really blame him for getting some distance. He was timing it right in the middle, basically, of that late signing period. You know, these guys need their own moment. Even now, I mean, he's 11 months, you know, he's nine months away from even being able to sign nine or 10 months, whatever it is from being able to sign. But I mean, this is a big kid. I mean, this is a guy, you know, I don't know where he's going to finish in the final ranking, but he's definitely a top 100 type prospect. He's long. He's got that flexibility. Could be a safety. You know, you see those guys in that six, two range. A lot of them end up going into that safety, but he's got cornerback skills. He's fast. He's a playmaker. Has a very legitimate, uh, highlight tape and offers from across the country. So, uh, he'd be a good start, you know, cause the in-state class this year is so loaded. Hurley would be a good start to sort of get that ball rolling because you really don't have a lot of the top guys committed yet. You know, the biggest name guy, I think, is uh, Raquez McEldery, who committed to Georgia. He's the offensive lineman for Anderson. I know Alabama's involved with him. And that recruitment could get interesting because Matt Luke had recruited him for Georgia, and uh, Matt Luke's now gone from Georgia. So that's a kid that grew up like in Alabama. So, yeah, anytime you get off in your own state, get off to a good start early, especially next year when the state's particularly loaded, like disgustingly loaded. Crazy. Like, yeah. like it's gross. Like I don't think I've ever seen it's it's equal. You said it with Hurley too, 6'2", long, and a versatile guy on the high school level, watching his junior tape, some cornerback, some kickoff returns, wildcat quarterback at times, wide receiver, and as you alluded to, even some tape at safety. So a lot of possibilities for Jalil Hurley when you consider the length, the size, the speed. And I know you wrote about this in your forecast, too, for Jalil Hurley on the roundtable for us there and at BOL earlier on Tuesday. Not a guy who shies away from contact, whether he's working at Wildcat quarterback, returns, uh, and even at safety, running the alley, so to speak. So you like what you see here, I guess. 
Yeah, you do. I mean, you like to see that. I mean, you know, most, you know, the cornerback often is limited, you know, with his contact, especially in high school. You don't see him coming up a lot. They're out on the edge, especially the higher ranked guys or just, you know, most of the tackles you see are diving at their knees and hitting them uh, sort of Deion Sanders style, you know, getting low, you know, tripping them up, that kind of thing. This is a big guy. I mean, he's going to come up and square you up when he gets a chance. He seems to kind of revel in that contact, which you want to see. He's not going to see a bunch of it. Uh, in uh in a high school in my opinion you know there's not a lot that's going to get back there to him but he's not shy i mean there's a lot to like about this guy um talent wise but again you come down to the size you come down to the length which is the first thing that jumps out feel like he's going to run fairly well um you know i'm sure you know that i'm sure that he'll run fairly well and test fairly well also you know speaking of defensive backs traquan fagan's Kendrick Law among the early enrollees for Alabama's 2022 class. And I wanted to get into some reasonable expectations that you and I would have for these mid-year guys. And we'll start with the top recruit in the class, especially where early enrollees are concerned. Edge defender Jeremiah Alexander out of Thompson. Um, You look at the top of the depth chart at outside linebacker with Will Anderson, with Dallas Turner, with Chris Braswell. But then you consider the possibility to help from a depth perspective, I guess, Tim, because Chris Allen moves on. Drew Sanders is at Arkansas now. King Wakuda has moved on to Arkansas State. Give us your thoughts on what might be reasonable for Jeremiah Alexander in year one. You know, the thing about, you know, Alexander that stands out is physically he's kind of ready for, you know, college already. I mean, he was a guy – I've told this story before when he was six and my son Cade was seven, they were training with Simeon Castile and a, a guy that was a Olympic runner for Auburn at this speed and a place in Pelham, the speed and strength place. So he's been hitting the weights and Thompson's, you know, weight programs, no joke. He's a guy that physically is going to be a little bit more advanced. Uh, learning curve will be, you know, won't be as steep as it will for other people. So he's going to have a chance The thing about Jeremiah is, He's not as sexy when you look at his high school film as other guys because he's not a pure edge rusher. A lot of time you'd see him lining up on the side with the tight end, setting the edge and all that. But what he does is when he puts those paws on you, he's going to move you. And he's going to be able to hold that edge. You know, I feel like he can do it even at the college level. So it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. Now, it could be special teams where we saw guys, you know, you know, Kendrick Blackshire was a guy we saw last year built kind of similar. You can see him on special teams for sure. He's built to play. So I think you're going to see him out on that field for sure. We talk about the linebacker position and we go inside Jihad Campbell, who you absolutely adore. I think everyone does, but you've been really a big proponent, a big fan of his for quite some time. And then also Sean Murphy in there. Uh, That's a potential pairing for the future, isn't it? With the possibility of also cross training Campbell at the edge. Yeah, you know, you look at those guys, they're all kind of guys that get to the football, you know, <clears throat> aggressive, <clears throat> heavy hitters, guys that get behind their pads. Murphy, you know, the thing with Murphy, it's really weird. I mean, you you know, when people get it in their head with stuff, like Sean was ranked, I think he was a top 10 prospect at one point. He was ranked probably too high for, you know, inside backers usually aren't that high. Well, then, he, you know, he went, he was top 10, he ran some kind of camp. And he was kind of gimpy. He ran sort of like his ankle or hamstring was tweaked. And, and boy, I'll tell you what, some people never forgot that. You can tell he's ranked, you know, he's ranked too low on 24-7. Guy, I think he won the linebacker of the year. Did he win the Buckus Ward or something crazy? And yep. 
Just a big kid had a great year. I don't know when you look at tape what you don't like about him. Um, nationally, he was ranked 72 in the country. That's more accurate than the 142 by 24-7. I just think that they got hung up on whatever happened at that camp. But film-wise, he's a player. He's a top priority for Alabama. Um, it's going to be interesting, that inside backer, because as you said, Jihad has a chance. You know, I, th- I think that he's going to get his first look there. There's going to be some depth. And then you got Henry. You know, we're all, you know, we're all waiting to see some of the younger guys. You know, you got Moody coming back. So there's going to be a lot of depth there. But, you know, opposed to last year where we didn't really see the the young guys early, I think this class on defense, you're going to see a lot of those guys, even if it's just rotating in and out and, you know, moving them and giving them some experience. I think this is a very – and, you know, another thing that jumps in with Jeremiah, Jihad, and Sean, this is a very, very serious-minded group of kids. So when, you know, Nick Saban talked about, you know, people not being ready to play to step up, I don't think you're going to have this problem with three, these three kids. I think they're going to be grounded. I think they're going to be hungry. And I think they're they're coming in with bad intentions. Yeah, and like Alexander, you would think Campbell and Murphy very early on special teams, uh, maybe multiple coverage in return units for talented inside linebackers, linebackers in general like Campbell and Murphy, even though Bryce Young returns, Tim, we both know quarterback will still be a storyline, especially with five-star Ty Simpson joining the mix. That competition for the number two spot with Jalen Milrow, that'll be among the primary storylines, I think, for Spring Drills 2022, and also the potential for one of these guys to really establish himself as the successor to Bryce Young. Absolutely. I mean, you can look at this very similar to when Mac Jones was a senior and Bryce was a freshman. That's kind of what Tyler and Jalen here's, you know, they're battling for. Who's next man up? Um, I don't, you know, Jalen, I love Jalen. Terrific athlete, strong arm, can throw a football. He is fast, man. I don't know if he's the fastest guy on that team, but I got a feeling you're, if you grab his wallet, you'll find out, you know, I think he can run. Um, I just want to see how he develops, you know, second year in the program. We didn't get a chance to see him throw the ball a lot. You know, last year when he came in, there wasn't a lot of passes. He was with his second unit. I didn't think Alabama did a great job of getting him some, like, starter reps, you know, when when Bryce came out. So we didn't really get to see what he did. Same was for Paul Tyson. We didn't see what either of them did with the A-team. But I want to see how he develops because Ty Simpson, he's another one. He's another serious – you know, we talked about the linebackers. Another serious-minded kid, bring his lunch type of guys. Dad's a college coach. Uh, came with the intention of starting after Bryce. So, absolutely, I'm looking forward to that competition battle a lot. We talk about the linebackers, but Alabama getting some much-needed help up front, and that starts with the big man, Jaheim Otis, who looks like a, a needed presence on the point. Alabama's been good enough, I would say. They haven't been great a lot of times in terms of keeping things held down between the tackles. Otis looks like he can be that kind of guy with his size and his mobility at his size. And then Curtis Perry also an early enrollee. And when you watch Perry's high school tape, it's not hard to think that in the future, perhaps somewhere along the lines of what we saw from Jonathan Allen and some other guys in terms of negative play potential with Curtis Perry. Yeah. You know, for me, excuse me, defensive line is by far, to me, the hardest position to play as a true freshman. I just think you have so much going on. You're inside. 
you're with the, you're going against experienced offensive linemen. They're usually bigger, stronger, been in weight programs. They know how to use their hands and all that kind of, that that stuff. So it's harder for me for defensive linemen. And we've seen that at Alabama where guys didn't even emerge till middle of their sophomore year or their junior year. Quinnen kind of did that. Barmore kind of did that. You know, there's been a few guys. That's what makes the freshman that that, that impact early truly special. Jaheim, you know, he's got work to do. I mean, he's a big monster of a kid, and he's fairly athletic. I mean, there's nothing more entertaining. I watched his high school games on Friday just to see him kick off. I didn't even <laughs> about anything else. I wanted to see Big Boy kick off and run down the field. <clears throat> it 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 uh it made my weekend. So Jaheim is a big guy's going to have a chance to step in. Got there early, which is huge. He's got to get his weight down. I mean, he's He's a big kid. I think I read somewhere. I think he tweeted he was down 15 pounds or so, which is good. You know, if he can, if he can, if he can add strength and lose 10 to 15 pounds for a few months, I mean, he can get to that 340 range. And he's a monster. That's a big guy that can move well. Uh, Curtis, he's the guy that you're a little bit more interested. You know, Curtis is highly debated this year. To, you know, to, between a lot of coaches too, because you know, and you know, obviously recruiting guys, but. His highlight film was, film was the best I've seen. I think he, you know, his junior film is absurd. He makes tackles, um, tackles for loss, sacks. You know, he does everything. I mean, it's amazing. This is like eight or plus minutes of pure highlights. Not that just made a tackle and fell on the pile stuff you sometimes see. Pure highlights, but he's not ideally sized. And there's a question of like, where does he play? Where does he fit in? Um, me, I think you get a guy like that who's such high energy. And, you know, it wasn't just his highlight film. His games I watched, that's how he is every play. He's just a high-energy guy. So he's going to have a chance, I think, more on special teams than early on. But I do, you know, as far as a big impact, I do think that he'll fight to get on that field late in games. Yeah, a guy like Jamarian Latham was sort of that way. He'll be an interesting guy to track, too, and his – development a little bit of a question about where he plays and uh where he might be most effective so definitely looking forward to seeing what curtis perry jaheem otis bring to the mix beginning this spring in the defensive backfield we mentioned Fegans and also law earlier for me tim there's intrigue in terms of where exactly these guys play because we've talked about Fegans in the past very good corner on the high school level but you could see him playing some safety maybe sub-package potential with what Alabama does in the nickel and dime looks. And then Law was such an all-around impactful player on the high school level. What about those two guys maybe in the secondary? Are you talking about Kendrick Law at safety? Yeah, would he be more of a – is he an offensive guy? Is he a defensive guy? I don't Um, don't know. His highlight tape didn't leave. I couldn't find any game film. His highlight tape was short as a senior. He had a few defensive plays that, you know, I talked to coaches. I think he could be a safety. That's just me. That has nothing to do with Alabama staff. That has nothing to do with Kendrick Law and what he wants to do. I think he's built like a safety. When you look at him physically, he's built like, you know, he's built like, he's built like Landon Collins. He's, and you remember Landon was a hell of a running back in high school, so that was kind of what Kendrick was. I didn't really see him at wide receiver. You know, you look at a more polished guy like, you know, Aaron Anderson is definitely a more polished guy at wide receiver. A lot of those guys Alabama's got on uh, on campus already are guys that are that are more polished. So Kendrick, I think that he can be a guy that they've got to figure out where they want to play him. I mean, after last year, do you give him a chance at running back? Obviously, an explosive athlete that tested really well. Probably didn't have the senior year he wanted to. 
Um, but you know, that's, you know, that's, that, that's, you know, that's not completely surprising with everything that was going on, but, you know, very highly, you know, a guy that a lot of teams wanted to get at, wanted to see, I just wish I'd have been able to find his game film and have a stronger opinion on him because the way he's built, it, it literally reminded me of Landon when I was watching his junior stuff, very thick, you know, tested really well. Um, think he's a, he's a 10, 700 meter guy. Uh, you know, got the speed and got the build. A couple of offensive linemen uh, among the early enrollees, Tyler Booker, most notably, the outstanding OL from IMG. And then also, you talk about intrigue, how about Dane Shore, a guy who literally we haven't seen on the field for a couple of years now. Um, both these guys inside, maybe, maybe both these guys tackle one of each, I guess, when you look at Booker and Shore and their perspective landing spots yeah i think booker you know in an ideal world i think you'd want him inside i think he could kick out to the edge but inside he was a road grader i mean he you know he really dominated a lot of those all-star games held his own uh stood out you know big strong kid his img games he was he was great i mean he was big he was powerful he could move the pile um i expect him to end up inside but of course you know that's always dependent on how the other guys you know, other guys do. We've seen guys we expected to play outside that moved inside and vice versa, and guys ended up at center. I do think he's a flexible enough guy that he could play the guard position, the center position, or the tackle position, which is the guy you want to sign. I know every offensive line coach wants to sign that guy. You know, that that, that position flexibility will come in handy. With Shore, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know, you know, we haven't seen him, like you said, in a few years. He was injured. He was ineligible last year. I do know he was at the Alabama camp and they got a chance to look at him. So, you know, you have to kind of, you know, you, you obviously have to trust your coaching staff knows what they want to look at. He's probably, you know, I don't see any way he's an early impact guy. He missed two years. Um, you missed two years. It's, you know, I just don't know how you're going to play college right away. But I'll tell you what, nobody, you know, it's, it's, you have to go deep, but his sophomore film, yeah. I think it too is pretty nice. He's he's a big old kid moving the prowl, highly thought of, ran into went to IMG, ran into an injury, moved back to Georgia, and there was some some rule about him transferring where he was ineligible. But he the showed Jake Garcia rule, probably. Yeah, that was a crazy yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> I watched that show. That kid's ineligible in the middle of the year. Was, yeah. And he can be eligible somewhere else and who knows. able to play somewhere else was the best part. It was a uh, rush rule. That was a rush rule, I think. You're, you're kind of ineligible, son. <laughs> you're so, rush ineligible. So with Dane, you know, I just think it's to be determined. We'll see what happens. He's got, you know, pretty good size. He's in that six five six range, close to 300 pounds. He's, you know, I feel confident he's been working out and getting ready. But again, he was at camp. He was, I don't know if he camped, but he was at, he was at Alabama visiting, and I know they got eyes on him. So took his commitment afterwards. Yeah, you're right. You have to go back a ways, but. You watched Dane Shore from a couple of years ago. Technically, very advanced for, uh, I guess, a sophomore Absolutely. in high school at the time. And Booker, I'm with you. In the Under Armour game, I really liked him at guard. Probably a lot more than I liked him at tackle in his senior film. So I could absolutely see that being the case for, for Tyler Booker. You mentioned Aaron Anderson earlier at the wide receiver position. You look at Aaron Five nine ish, so you think JoJo Earl, you think Christian Leary. Alabama's already got a couple of those guys. Is the mindset I think a lot of people take. But you also mentioned the polish and the maturity. It seems Aaron Anderson brings to that position. Also in the kick return game, uh, 
there there's there's the potential for Aaron Anderson very quickly to to do his thing, isn't there? Yeah, if I was betting, I would think he's definitely the one um, out of this group to see the field the first, simply because he's an experienced route runner. He's an excellent route runner. We saw that at camps and during his senior season. You know, like you know, with Kendrick Law, you haven't really, you know, if he does end up a wide receiver, you haven't really seen a lot of route running with him. Um, so with with Aaron though, you've seen exactly what he brings to the table. Experienced route runner. They had him in camp. He was killing people one on one. You know, just and you know, the thing about it is, his hands are unbelievable. Terrific hands, um, great catch radius for his size, and he's quick. I don't know how fast he is. I know when he catches that football, he's quick. He's getting into space and he's running. So you got a couple other guys, you know, that that could could also chip in down there coming in late. But again, they're coming in late. There's eight month head start with Aaron, who is already a better route runner than say, you know, Bond, who's just sort of adjusting to that position. Kobe Prentice, who you know, who's who's kind of you know going to have to adjust, and Shaz Preston. But yeah, Aaron's my guy. I think most people feel he's the most around Alabama. Feel he's the most polished with a chance to play. Uh, now there's some elite speed guys in that class whose speed's going to be very tempting to put on the field. I mean, we're in the, we're, you know, we're getting close to the Henry Ruggs speed uh, range with a few of those wide receivers. Yeah. And remember we are talking specifically about early enrollees here. So uh, the conversation limited to a very impressive Baker's dozen, but going to be joined by just as impressive of a group with the summertime enrollees. Jamarian Miller will wrap up with here with the early enrollees, Tim. And man, when you consider the injuries to Jace McClellan, Roydell Williams, uh, Brian Robinson moves on, Kamar Wheaton moves on, uh, the workload for Jamarian Miller, when again, considering just early enrollees, might be up there at the very top in terms of interaction with the first couple of groups of offenses. Yeah, and he's that he's that Alabama kind of running back too, you know, big, thick guy. You know, he's not really that, you know, I'm not saying he's certainly not saying he's slow, but he's not the four four guy that you've seen with, you know, with some other players. He's the big, big, thick, get behind his pads, run, fall forward, you know, one cut, find a hole, plant your foot and go, uh, kind of guy. Put up big numbers in Texas, had a lot of a lot of people, you know, had a lot of offers early on, was a big name, had a good senior season. His film is really good. Um, another guy probably in that uh, <clears throat> probably in that 10-7 range, I think, is what his profile said on his 100 meter. I haven't seen his senior stuff yet, but fast enough. But he's that guy to, you know, move the chains, fall forward, big offers, consistent, you know, catch a little – had a good, good enough year this year catching the ball out of the backfield, which was uh, – a the last two years, sophomore, senior and junior year, you saw him as a little bit more of a receiving threat. And you know how much Alabama likes those guys. So um, he's the guy, as you said, he's a guy, you know, that's that works again with Kendrick Law. When you go into spring, who's healthy to compete in spring at running back? You know, last year we saw Demoy Kennedy and Christian Leary. So, you know, very well could see Kendrick get his start there. But Miller's definitely going <clears> to <throat> have an early look. Let me ask you this about newcomers, and they involve transfers that we have understood to believe that Alabama has added to its mix for the 2022 season. Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Georgia Tech, Elias Ricks, the defensive back transfer from LSU, wide receiver Jermaine Burton from Georgia to this point. 
Which of these guys do you think right now, understanding it's just late February, is most likely to pull a Jamison Williams and be a one and done as a transfer coming into UA? I think it's without doubt <clears throat> Jermaine Burton. <clears throat> Excuse me, I can't get my throat cleared. The Jermaine Burton, because this is a guy that won a national championship and was their leading receiver in targets and all that stuff, and who instantly transfers to Alabama to get those reps that Jamison got, to get those those pass, uh, passes thrown to him that, that Mechie got. Shit, they even get the passes thrown to him Slade got. This guy's coming in. <laughs> you know what I mean? This guy, I mean, I looked it up. I mean, I think Brian Robson. No, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think Brian had Brian Robson has many catches or close to as many. Cameron Latou, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. So I think this guy's coming in. You make that move coming off that high of a national championship, you are strictly business, in my opinion. Not only did you transfer, you went to Alabama after beating Alabama. So I think this is a very serious-minded guy. And you add in the fact that the opportunity for him is unbelievable. You know, the leading receivers are gone. You've lost Billingsley. You've lost Mechie. You've lost – and I'm talking targets, not actual receptions. But you obviously lost Jameson to Slate. That opportunity is there for him. So I would say Jermaine's the most serious. I think Ricks is really close to – you know, he comes from that – that California Hollywood life, lifestyle. He's been a big name since he was, you know, played on a big stage in high school. Was a big, was on a big stage as a freshman at LSU, and he comes here, pretty much the same opportunity. And Gibbs too. They're all candidates to go pro. Now, how bad they want to go pro? That's a different, you know, that's a different subject. I don't know if any will be first round picks um, right away, you know. But then again, we didn't know if Jamison would. We didn't know if Henry Toa Toa where he'd fall. Henry came back and Jamison left. So I think, uh, you know, I'd probably rank them Burton, Ricks, and Gibbs. Um, I rank Gibbs the lowest simply because that dude wanted to beat Alabama so bad. He might want to savor it. <laughs> he might be like Henry, you know, who, you know, Henry said, I've never, you know, I always should have went to Bama and then passed up the pro to be there an extra year, you know. So um, I would definitely think Burton's that guy. Yeah, it's tough because positional value favors. Ricks and Burton, right, of the three. When you talk about corner, you talk about wide receiver in today's NFL, and then you get a few layers down and you get to running backs. And so I would agree that from that perspective, Burton and Ricks are hard to look away from. But I won't be surprised, I know you won't either, if it's actually Gibbs who ends up making an even bigger splash. Uh, He's going to have opportunity in all likelihood right out the gate and his skill set is going to lend itself to more along the lines of maybe some of the highlight stuff we saw from Najee a couple of years ago. And I was going to say, I was going to say that I'm not saying he's Najee or anything like Najee as far as physically, but that I think splash. He, but yeah. he, I think he could find that role. I mean, you remember how valuable Najee was out of the backfield, how those quick passes got to him, and you know, just trouble. I think Gibbs has that. He's also very elusive in the field, more elusive than Najee Najee was. Najee was just a big dude striding long and running fast who could jump over you gives us that guy that can plant and cut you know stop on a dime and make you miss so absolutely those three guys you know and again these are three guys that are definitely at neat areas so these are proven college football players at neat areas for alabama on a team that's going to compete most likely for a national championship no doubt about that. Um, you mentioned readiness earlier of the reserves for Alabama, the national championship game lost to Georgia. 
And that was along the lines. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it feels like, Tim, we hear most of these same comments from Nick Saban on an annual basis, but they continue every year, it feels like, to just hit a sweet spot on social media and among fans and certainly even coaches. I heard Jerry Stackhouse following Vanderbilt's men's basketball game against Texas A&M Saturday mention the comments by Nick Saban in this latest round, uh, his latest appearance at the coaches clinic there in Montgomery. Does it surprise you that again, I, I think the, the narrative is similar almost on an annual basis, but Saban just continues to dominate in, in the area of, uh, you know, talking about fundamental things that are needed to win. Uh, I think he's that rare <clears throat> that rare voice for a whole, you know, a whole college of all of college football. You don't have many guys that are yeah. are the voice for anything. I think Coach K to some degree is that way for basketball or has been. Um, you know, Izzo sort of stepping in that role lately. I saw him comment on the Juwan Howard thing. I think Nick said first of all, Nick Saban's a really smart guy when it comes down to I don't know what his ACT score would be. You know what I mean? I don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. But I know when it comes down to knowing people, knowing how to build, knowing how to build the structure, the plan for sustained sustained success, he's excellent at it. So when he tells you a lot of things he tells you is literally applicable to building your landscaping business or building your law firm or building your football team or, you know, building anything. I think that's what makes him very unique. I'm not surprised. Um, I just, I think that he's always been the smart guy, just not quite as big of a stage as he is at Alabama. And he was on a bigger stage than he, than he has been on at LSU. I think Alabama was more of a national brand in Michigan state, but not only that, the success he's brought put Alabama, you know, just magnify the stage even more. So he's heard, you know, you know, pretty loud. He's a smart guy. I mean, it's hard to argue with anything he says. And I think he's pretty honest. I think he's pretty direct, which helps. And I don't think he's always just speaking for Alabama. I think when he talks a lot of times, it's what's best for this sport. And uh, I think he's right a lot. Yeah, he's proven to be. And I also think he doesn't miss an opportunity to sort of speak to his team if he gets the opportunity. And I, I think what you've heard in terms of the readiness issue with probably more of an emphasis on the offensive side of the ball, because he was complimentary of Dallas Turner in that same regard in terms of his readiness. Once um, Drew Sanders went out and Turner had his, his, uh, his, his chance to jump in there. Um, you know, if he's saying this stuff at coaches clinics in February, you know he's beating that drum within the building uh, this offseason. And again, I don't think it's that complex. I think a lot of people look at the sort of saving formula as being a hundred different ingredients. I don't. I think the players come and go, and there are four or five fundamental values that he continues to be unwavering about when it comes to them. And uh, he just he just reinforces over and over and over again and uh, very consistent. And, you know, we look back to that national championship game and yeah, I think there were a couple of wide receivers probably that would have had more of an opportunity to make an impact in the game. I thought Ajay Hall did make an impact in the game, but Saban's comments made me think, well, they were also limited in what they were able to do even as an offense 
because of the readiness level of a couple of guys. In other words, if you have a guy that can play only one of the receiver spots and maybe you trust him to run just a couple of routes, that's going to limit what you're able to do in the passing game in general. Absolutely. And that's before you talk about when plays break down. You know, prep a big part of preparation is improv. It's it's not just backyard football when Bryce Young leaves the pocket, right? I mean, the receivers have worked with him in a way in which they know what to do. Some of it's instinct. A lot of it, though, is preparation. I mean, Mechie, uh, as much you exactly know, as big as, as big a loss is more than a bit. It's bigger than Jameson because Mechie was his safety blanket. If you watch mm-hmm. Mechie, dude worked to get open till the you know from the snap to the whistle. So he didn't just come back to Bryce when Bryce rolled out to the right. If he came back and he was covered, he would go to the end zone, you know, and throw his hands up. He worked so hard to get open, and that's just not something you're going to teach a true freshman. I mean, a true freshman's really going to have to, you know, figure that out. You know, it's almost like getting caught playing basketball and watching the ball and not rotating on defense and all that stuff. You just got to, you know, you got to do it. And Mechie was brilliant with it. But I think this year, more than any year I've ever really recalled, I think Nick Saban got more respect from – from people because the word consistency, I mean, you heard Kirby Smart say it, you heard a bunch of coaches and then, you know, everybody was talking about consistent because I don't know a lot of people who thought Alabama would be in the national championship game, you know, especially after that Texas A&M game or even heading into this, you know, I was doing radio with somebody who, I mean, the, the way they look at how simplistic they look at it, the guy said, of course, Alabama Bama be back. They, you know, I said, they lost, you know, they lost eight of the first 38 picks. He said, oh, they got that waiting on deck. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's never happened before. That is not a, you can't, you know, you know, you can't really just duplicate that success. But to see that team go in and battle, you know, a, a really good Georgia team. I mean, Georgia was a good football team. And to be leading with 10 minutes left, you know, it's a pretty good testament, you know, to, to the will of that program. Yeah, sort of circling back to spring practice on the horizon here. It, Saban's comments were a bit of a reminder, too, to not get overly excited about 8 day performances, right? Because there's a big difference between a scrimmage in April and a championship-caliber game in November or later. So just something to remember as we get close to spring ball. Oddly enough, you just described a guy Hall's freshman year. Exactly. Spring that game. was that, yep. we saw him in the spring game and then we saw him in the national championship game and nothing between <laughs> exactly yes you just absolutely so but I, hall i think as critical as alabama fans were of hall because of his twitter stuff and i'm not blaming them he said you know i mean dude was every week yep. he tweeted in the third quarter a couple times you know um <laughs> basically implying he was gone as angry as they were with him I think that run down on the pick six and blasting that guy yeah. had every one of them on his side. So he's going to have a lot of support going this year. Very physical guy, physically gifted guy with a chance, you know, chance to play. He's going to have a chance to to be special, but he's going to have to stay out of his own way. He's a very emotional kid. So yeah. I, and emotional people, and I, I look, I was an emotional guy, still am, but especially young, our reaction is quicker than our thinking. So sometimes we yell before we actually think, is it our I've fault? I've been there. I've definitely I, been there too. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew, I mean, I, I was, I was sort of that way that I would. It's called you know, maturity. Yeah. You know, and, how is it and it, it, everybody gets there on their own time and absolutely. as I long have, as they get there, that's all that matters. Robert Foster was a guy like that. Absolutely. Um, more of a silent type, but you could tell uh, went through some turbulent times before 
wrapping up on a positive note. Hey, Derek Dooley, how about that? Former Tennessee head coach comes on board at Alabama as an analyst under Nick Saban. No surprise there, given that Dooley has worked with Nick Saban in the past, I guess both at LSU and with the Miami Dolphins. But I wanted to ask you this. Is there an analyst staff hire by Nick Saban at this point that would surprise you? Just out of anybody, I, you know, because like Ed Orgeron, right, recently I think made the statement that he wouldn't be joining Nick Saban's staff anytime soon. I think that's Ed's decision. You and know, I do too. I, I, I think that's I, how he sees it. I think for yeah. the most part, you know, I say this about Shannon Terry, the CEO, you know, former CEO of Rivals and 24-7. I think it's so business with these guys that they could – I think Nick Saban's the same way, that he if it if it's good for business, I think he could handle it for the most part. So I think that would be more – you know, if he felt Ed Orgeron could come in um, and help out, he would be um, more to it. I think that's Ed Orgeron. You know, it's mad. I mean, I don't know how – you can talk all that crap he talked after that one win he had and yeah. come and work in the office, you know, with, you know, I just don't know how you could do that. You know, he's a prideful guy. He's making a lot of money not to coach. So, I mean, as far as like current guys out there, I, I think Saban will work with anybody. Now, if Lane Kiffin, I'd be curious what would happen if Lane Kiffin was out of football, wanted to come back and as an analyst. I'd, oh. I, I would find that one pretty hard to believe considering how Lane left. Um, well, look, Lance Thompson came back after that departure. I thought he, I thought he set the Lurling Wallace bridge on fire on the way out of town to go yeah. to Tennessee, and you know. But like you said, Lance was good for business, yeah. and if, if Lane is deemed that way, if it came down to it, I, I could definitely see Lane back. Lane was was cut out of that national championship game. Was the was the deal breaker. You know, I think that when saving, I think Lane owned it though. Didn't Lane own that? You thought, I mean, in terms of his responsibility in it, I don't think Lane owns anything. I think, you know what I mean? I think he's on Twitter and everything's glib. And, you know, I think that, uh, Lane Kiffin's always sort of been the brat prince who's now heading towards 50. And it's, it's a little, I mean, the dude won 11 game. I mean, real talk. You and my dad, you and my dad would, love each other when it comes well, to lane boy y'all are on the same page on that one look at the logic here this guy won 11 games at old miss you know and not, right. there was 25 jobs that opened this year and he didn't, I hear you. Yeah. he wasn't involved in any of them now yeah. he did a great job at old miss you know he's a good coach um from that standpoint as far as winning and getting i mean he obviously got some more guys to come in and all that stuff but i just i don't know i don't think that you know how do you not? How do you get removed from a chance to coach in a national championship game? Well, that was that wasn't a move. That was not. A that move. was a that was a culmination of things, probably, and then Lane just could not absolutely hold it together he for a month. Saving fairly well. That is not yeah. a move he wanted to make. No, he was forced to make that move, and you have to go back to who forced yeah. him to make it. If the guy's just totally not engaged in the process basically of getting ready for a national championship game. I'm just, you know? I remember 10 years ago telling my kids, Hey, if you own up to it, it's okay. That's all I do is ask you to own it. Well, now when they screw up, they go, my bad. I go, no shit. <laughs> you get, you get tired one, of my bad after a you're while. You're the only one. Yes. You're the only one driving the car <laughs> to the side of the house. You know, I know it's your bad. 
You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, give me something else. Give me yeah, something, a little extra. When, as kids, I was like, just own it. You made a mistake, and I'll forgive you. But she, at some point, I know it's sure bad. You know what I mean? You're the only one in the car. Right. So hey, that, maybe, maybe here's another way of looking at it. Guys in the past who seem to fit what Nick Saban would want, but for whatever reason, they've never worked with him. Uh, you know, and, and a guy who, with the changes on the offensive line throughout the years, who I thought always lined up with Nick Saban, but it never happened, was Sam Pittman. That would be the guy for me. I don't know if you have a guy that made so much sense I, that I, you would I, think they would work together, but I, they never have. I thought it was Ed Orgeron. I would yeah. that is, yeah. I would see Ed Orgeron helping on the Nick Saban staff. Especially after Ole Miss, right? Oh, absolutely. See, and the thing about me is like I, I like coaches who are entertaining. Ed Orgeron entertained me. I liked him. I thought he was in less miles. I felt the same way. I like the coaches aren't necessarily who are cookie cutter. So I think Ed Orgeron, I mean, I get why Ed, believe, believe me, I get why Ed Orgeron wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? You don't want right. to you don't want to be a head coach at LSU, won a national championship. It's an ego thing for Ed. And of course it is. And that guy strikes me as a guy that'll be 78 years old and ripping his shirt off to fight <laughs> at the City Bar. We can you, only hope. Yeah. yeah. If you disrespect him, I think he's probably a very real, he is what, you know, you get, you know, you get what you see with him. So, but that would make a, that'd make a lot of sense seeing him with that intensity. I personally would just like to see it because I know he's an intense guy was a good position coach um, and would fit in. But I definitely see why he wouldn't do it. But, you know, nothing would surprise me with Nick Saban, to be honest. I'd be curious to see what would happen, you know, with a guy like Lane, with the way he left. I'd be curious to see if Lance Thompson could ever come back. Um, could Dan Mullen – could you ever see a Dan Mullen hire by Nick Saban? I could, I could because Nick Saban's only worried about Nick Saban. Now, Dan Mullen rubs a lot of people. It's another ego thing, too. Yeah, Dan Mullen rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I remember when he was at Mississippi State, I knew one of their assistants, and he said when Dan walked in the office, they all shut their door. <laughs> you know, so it's that's what my kids do when I come back from the gym. They're like, I don't want nothing to do with this guy. He is missing. <laughs> so Dan, would, would, they would all just not. Then, you know, he goes to Florida, and everything that happened, he lived up to that reputation. But a lot of people at Mississippi State were already saying this stuff. Goes to Florida and he's exposed. And I think Nick Saban would overlook that because I don't think Nick Saban, you know, Dan Mullen would be that way with Nick Saban. Now I'd be curious what his assistants thought when you had that, you know, that that uh, that personality in the mix. And I think Dan Mullen's another real one. I think that guy does want to thumb wrestle you or you know rip mm-hmm. you off at Festivus and wrestle you. You know, right? Uh, I think Yeezys. Yeah, Dan Mullins are real, and I also think he did not like to recruit and didn't know how to recruit. Nope. And, uh, you know, that obviously caused – That's the- where it gets tough with Mullen and Saban, envisioning that well, sort of like union. He's an offensive coordinator. I mean, seriously. Yeah. You know, we talked about this. How many offensive coordinators for Alabama has really recruited? Yeah. You know, you had Sark. You know, he did quarterbacks. Most of them do the quarterbacks, get out a little. You had Loxley for sure. You know, Poster reminded me of Loxley. Loxley was very active, was a very good recruiter. But for the most part, going back to to Mac and Nuss and even Lane, Lane Lane didn't recruit. You know, Lane was, wasn't was sent on the road that often. And, uh, you know, Sark would have the quarterbacks. I think they all were involved with the quarterbacks, but most of them didn't really get out and recruit. So, I mean, from the recruiting standpoint, it's not that big a deal. You didn't hear Bill O'Brien's name a lot this year, but you did with Tyler Simpson. So I don't think the recruiting 
would be that big of a deal. But I'd be curious. Uh, I think Nick Saban would do it. Let's talk some Alabama men's basketball. The Crimson Tide on the road coming up Tuesday night in Nashville, taking on the Vanderbilt Commodores with two weeks left in the regular season and that aforementioned road game tonight. Real-time projecting the ceiling for Alabama hoops is what I'm going to ask you about right now, Tim. And you look at this team and its struggles in terms of consistency and its inability to, to maintain over a extended stretch and some of these bracketologists still have Alabama as a strong candidate for a four seed in the NCAA tournament. And so what do you think about this team right now? Understanding that we talk so much about the offensive end of the four with Nate Oates teams, but uh, is it defensively where they need to pick it up? Maybe even more so than the lack of consistency with an emphasis on the three point line. I think, you know, you saw that run. What was that run against Kentucky? Was it 26 to 2? Was that? Yeah, 20 to 2, 26 to 2 is a big it, one. That is not, that's not normal. You know, that that is not, I mean, that is just so hard to see somebody go on a 26 2 run when you're leading and it to carry over through the half. Uh, defense was not good. Offense was not good. And, you know, you sort of got with Alabama when they came out so cherry red. This is sort of something I watched with the Alabama team. It almost makes me pucker up because I'm like, oh, Lord, they're going to think they can hit every shot now. They get that confidence. Well, You they, know the drought's coming, yeah. And they keep taking those shots that they made earlier because they made them, even though they're missing them now, the shots get a little less effective. Uh, the defense certainly let them down. I hated Ellis had a great game. Um, you know, I, I hated he had, a, he had a brilliant game, and it was sort of lost. But, again, Kentucky's a top-five team, definitely top-five talent. In Rupp Arena, it doesn't excuse it. You know, I would have loved to see that game come down to the wire. I would have loved to see that game even killed coming down two to four point game in the final three minutes. I would have loved to see how Alabama reacted. Now they had a chance to cut it to five, um, so they had chances, you know, to get back in that game. But you know, then again, you know, Kentucky, they made, they got buckets. They were making shots, even defended shots. They were making shots. So a lot goes to me. A lot goes to Kentucky on their offense for really, you know, stepping up and, and making, making, you know, making good plays with uh, the upcoming schedule. I mean, I don't know how you can't be disappointed with anything less than 20 and 11. Right. Vanderbilt, South Carolina at home, Texas A&M at home and at LSU, you know, they could win all four games earlier in the year. I probably expected them to go three and have a chance to beat LSU now, I mean, you just gotta hope, you know, they go three and one, and you know, or two and two. You don't, you don't want them to mess up and lose one of those home games for sure. Um, but you'd like to see them get to twenty. This team is just so sporadic. I've never seen a team like this. You know, I haven't really posted on the message board because I don't know what to say. I've yeah, never- the last, the last eight games, just to sort of illustrate your point in terms of sporadic performance. Just look at Jade Shackelford, who. Right now, you'd have to say is Alabama's best player. But in four road games in the last eight, he has made 24 of 45 from three. That's 53.3%. But in home games, he's two of 26. That's not even 8%. It just doesn't It doesn't make sense in a lot of ways, this Alabama team. But I think that's one of the stats that illustrates that as, as good as any. I wonder, the, I wonder if his preparation's the same. You know, you got yeah. to you know, if you go to a visiting place, you might think, I got to find the floor. I got to find the bounce. I got to find the rhythm. You got to find all that when you're shooting. And at home, you think, I just got it. You know, that could be a case that I shoot there so much. I don't need to 
to focus on it as much. Um, but then again, he's a streaky shooter. I mean, the guy's thrown he up, is. you know, during that stretch, he's thrown up 25 or six times at least, you know, 30 once. Um, now when he yeah, gets, Ole Miss, he was on the road. He was great. Yeah, when he gets hot, he is a, that is a, that is a nasty, mm-hmm. nasty man out there shooting some bad intentions. So, you know, you look at this team, you'd like to see him go 20 and 11. You know, you start off, for me, this team, it's impossible to look ahead. No. That's the problem with this team. Like, when you went, they'll go win their next three. I was thinking, you know, that's, I was thinking to myself, like, I can't even look ahead with this team. You, This is literally one game at a time. And the first game is Vanderbilt. You know, they get this one. I think this is a big win. If they can handle this at Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt has not been kind to anybody, including Vanderbilt, oddly enough. Uh, that, 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 that's, that arena is, uh, is so different. But, you know, you want to get that win and get that off your chest because you feel pretty confident at home against South Carolina, pretty confident at home against Texas A&M, which would get you to 20 wins going into LSU. And why I give Alabama a chance at LSU is because that's the kind of game they're going to get fired up for. They're at LSU no LSU's players. It's a good team. It's a little bit of a rivalry. There's been some good, healthy trash talk, you know, amongst those teams, especially when Herb and Watford went for it, two childhood friends on two different teams. Um, I remember last year, go back to that, Christian said to Alabama's bench as they beat them the second of three times, he said, y'all talk all that trash. This is what somebody on the sideline told me. Y'all talk all that trash you want. But this time next year, I'll be in the NBA and <laughs> in Europe. Ooh. Yes. And yeah, uh, didn't age well. Yeah, Although yeah. I think Trendon just got yeah. a deal with the Blazers. Trendon, right? Trendon did. Now, it's neither <laughs> neither year's guaranteed. The NBA contracts, Chuck. Oh, I, man. I really like We're giving you 10 years, not our guarantee. So <laughs> it's all about the guaranteed money. Actually, Watford and Herb have played. You know, Herb's obviously having the better year. But Watford's played and did okay. You know, the beauty for the young guys, and I think we discussed this before, is that with COVID and the injuries and the NBA going to the, you know, rest every three days with a lot of guys, you got to bring up Josh Primo, who probably would have spent the whole year in the G, G League. You got to get Herb on that floor. You've had been at Zion out a whole year. And then with Watford, they've had so many guys out that you bring them in, they get a chance. You know, I think Watford's averaging five points. Herb's obviously doing really well. So it's been a benefit to them, this new NBA. Yeah, I look at Alabama right now. I see a six seedish type team with the perimeter firepower to outperform that line if they get their top three guys playing together at a high level. Still lacking, though, that defined, as I've called it, oh, shit guy when things start to go sideways. You mentioned the big runs for Kentucky last Saturday. I just don't envision those type of runs happening with a Herb Jones on the floor, not even so much because of what he would have done offensively, but more so uh, offensively, but what he would have done defensively to help this team. So in a lot of ways, this season has been a, a Herb Jones appreciation tour because it's just underscored what you don't have. No, absolutely. And then, you know, the thing that's going to be really interesting is going to be like, if I'm a three seed, I don't really want to play Bama early. You know what I mean? Right. I want, I mean, no, there's, they can score. They can go off and score 95 points. That's the thing. Alabama's a team. Ratio. There's absolutely Alabama's a team of capable of no team wants to play Alabama as a six, seven, whatever the, with a, outside the top four seeds. I mean, they're definitely going to play, uh, 
to have a chance to play, like you said, out of that position. But as Alabama fans, they dread that they might be one and done. So this team is literally the most Jekyll and Hyde team I've ever seen. They've had moments where some of the best basketball I've seen from an Alabama team. Their early start against Kentucky was just beautiful. And then they've had some that were just so bad. And again, that goes back to three of the best wins in Alabama basketball history, probably right this year. And yeah. then, you know, Gonzaga, Houston, the top final four then, teams. Yeah. Then three of the worst in the history, you know, Georgia <laughs> still has the Bama win. Well, they got, uh, they got staff members fighting at halftime at Georgia these days. Well, and, that's uh, See that that they had disaster that, under Tom Crean. They, they had the Zoom running and they could hear him talking when he thought it was off. Oh geez, that is every yeah. There was a story <laughs> that is every that is definitely my nightmare. You know, we oh. shut this thing down, turn off the computer, making sure that they running. Yeah, so I think though for tonight it starts with Scotty Pippen Jr. and Jordan Wright and just trying to defend these guys off the dribble without fouling because those guys thrive on getting to the free throw line. And, you know, Vanderbilt has a healthy big now and Liam Rob, Liam Robbins, a transfer from Minnesota that could have a, a very interesting matchup between seven footers with Robbins and Charles Bediaco up in Nashville. Tim, let's get into the BOL roundtable mailbag before we get out of here on a Tuesday. We'll start with B rich. He wants to hear our thoughts on the freshman impact for the Alabama softball squad. And I'll say this, Megan Bloodworth, 353 batting average, three home runs, nine RBI, huge opening weekend in Tucson, more so for Megan than this most recent weekend in the Bama Bash. Dallas, good night. Another freshman hitting 435, six for six on stolen bases. And so when you talk about newcomers in general, you also have to consider uh, Ashley Prongay, uh, in that mix, Allie Shipman, the Tennessee transfer in that mix, they've been exactly what Alabama's needed. They've combined for six home runs and 24 RBI for an undefeated Alabama team that you know with Montana Fouts and Lexi Kilfoyle, they're going to pitch the hell out of it. They're going to be tremendous in the circle. So a great start for for Patrick Murphy's team. Let me be honest here. For the first time in 20 years, I feel like you just set me up. All right. Random B Rich comes with a softball question. You know everything. Wait a I, minute. You're gonna you're I, gonna you jump in on softball? Whole, you know the whole thing. I feel like B Rich and you are like he probably been over there having some of those uh <laughs> for Miss Heathers. Yeah, Peter Brook, of course. B Rich knows the deal. Hey, ask the Peter Brook question of the week. Ask about softball. Watched him try to Google while I am Exactly. The Peter Brook round table mailbag of the question of the week. I actually watched some softball this week because former BOL all-star, no-star, Shane Youngblood loves women's softball, which tickles me. Uh And he makes fun of me for making fun of him for watching it. And (laughs) dude's like, dude, they're good. They'll be playing long after the baseball and basketball. (laughs) Dude's like like bowed up against every sport with softball. So I'm flipping it over there. He's giving me updates. Extremely excited. I watched the baseball game. How about the walk-off homer on Friday? Diodati, yeah. Oh, gosh, two doubles, two home runs. That is That was amazing. Nice little sweep. But, Good weekend uh, for Brad Bohannon's team. You go to Texas this weekend, Tim. You'll find out a lot more about yourself taking on the number one ranked Longhorns on the road coming up this weekend. 
Be rich, you got me. You and Travis, congratulations. Yeah, but we'll mix in some baseball for sure. Bama man for JC ask, why has Bama punting been so terrible post JK Scott? Do you possibly see us, Alabama that is, getting one punter via the transfer portal or signing one in 2023? Well, part of the problem was JK Scott was sort of a generational punter. He was so good that there was going to be a drop off of some sort, but sure, it's been more significant. Uh, Skylar DeLong came in initially. That obviously didn't work out. You know, I thought this offseason when Jay Bramblett hit the transfer portal from Notre Dame, being that he is a Hillcrest product from right there in Tuscaloosa, Alabama could be in play there, but he landed with Brian Kelly at LSU instead. I'll say this. I think James Burnup still has plenty of potential. You know, he was basically a year ahead of schedule. I figured he would be more of a guy that would come across the ocean this year, more so than last year. Alabama pushed that up a year. So I'm expecting a strong step forward for the Aussie in 2022. Keep the faith in James Burnham. Hey, there's Tim. There's our hot take. Yeah, it is. Right. That'll be the, the highlight quote for the intro maybe for this pod, the punting game for Alabama. Dioshi 23 says that in reading up on Joe Cox, the new hire as the tight ends coach for the Alabama Crimson Tide, Dioshi 23 says he gets Billy Napier vibes. Could Joe Cox, asked Dioshi 23, be someone groomed as a potential OC for the future? Dioshi, uh, he's big on Joe Cox already. And I'll say this. He sort of looks like Billy Napier, so I get it from that perspective, Joe Cox does. And I said this on a previous pod. I really like Joe Cox's versatility. He's already worked with wide receivers. He's worked with tight ends. He's worked with quarterbacks. He's been an offensive coordinator, albeit on the high school level. But who knows, right, for the future when we look at Joe Cox? I like his versatility. You talked about he was in high school level. He was at Colorado State, South Carolina, Charlotte, and now Alabama. That's a lot. You know, that's 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 a lot of schools to be at by the time you're 35 years old. I know he sounds like a high energy guy. I'm going to wait and see sort of, you know, the next two years recruiting wise. But it sounds like he's a high energy guy. You know, obviously a guy that played in the South is from the South. I think he's from North Carolina. Um, Billy's from over in that area. It feels like I see what he's saying. Tight ends coach and all that stuff. So, you know, it's hard to predict. I mean, Billy Napier's had quite the run to Florida, you know, very patient, you know, very impressed with, you know, he, Billy Napier was the hottest name in rumors for coaching jobs the last two years, it seems like, right? I mean, last year's, you know, this year's LSU, last year's South Carolina and all those openings. So probably hard to see a guy going, you know, projecting someone to be the Florida coach, which I consider one of the premier jobs in the country. But certainly a guy's got a chance to prove it from a recruiting standpoint first. He's going to, you know, he's going to have Alabama. You know, he's going to have good area. And, uh, you know, he's going to have a chance to prove himself. It's hard for me to connect to Billy. I'm not sure a lot of people eight years ago thought Billy Napier would be a – I mean, to be honest, how many people thought Billy would be the, you know, the, the head coach of the school as big as Florida? You know, especially you, after being let go by Clemson and, for him and sort Dallas. of that path he had to take back. Yeah, I mean, in 10 years, he started he was an analyst, you know, going back. He was in the office at Alabama and he went from there, um, you know, Colorado State, Alabama, Arizona State for a brief minute, minute. Then he got the head coaching job at Louisiana and then, he, you know, did really well there and then got the Florida job. So I don't think a lot of people saw that 
trajectory. So that you know, getting to be a head coach is wild. I mean, some guys you expect to be a head coach, it takes them a while. There's a lot of learning lessons. But I think Joe Cox, the early feedback I've got is a lot of I know a lot of people like him. So after that we can just see, you know, the proofs in the puddings. As we said earlier, never say never with Nick Saban. And I would say that even with Derek Dooley now in that analyst role. I'm not saying, okay, that he would be a slam dunk to be the next offensive coordinator at Alabama, but I'm not saying either that it would shock me if a scenario like that played out in the future. Yeah, he's certainly going to be in the mix, I would think, if that job opens up. I mean, you bring a guy like that back, you know, same with Charlie Strong or any of those guys at that level, you know, you're giving, you know, basically you're getting a year to see, you know, basically to, you know, get a year away from on the field coaching. We get a year to clean, you know, sort of your, you know, your chalkboard and start over. And, you know, if you're not at Alabama, you're usually going to be at somewhere else. But Derek Dooley, as far as his, you know, I think he's in his early 50s. But as far as his resume, he's going to have a ton of, you know, he's going to have a ton of good stuff on there with the teams he's been on, with the experience he's been on, you know. Yeah. And I got one pop culture question before we get out of here for you. Is there any reason to go to a movie theater these days? I think we've had this discussion in the past. We went, the whole family, we went yesterday for the first time since uh, the start of COVID. So for two years, we didn't go. We saw, me and the three boys, we saw Uncharted, which I thought was good. I mean, I thought it was good. People, I don't know how people, some people over-criticize these action movies. They're not supposed to be real. You can't jump off an airplane and land on a car that's fallen and then jump to a crate. That's not, Rambo wasn't real for you people, by the way. Nobody goes into Afghanistan with a buck knife. But I thought it was good for what it was going to do. The wife and daughter saw West Side Story. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, I don't know if it was as much as I enjoyed it because it's been two years. Uh, but I but I did enjoy it. And I've always liked going to the movies. I used to go to the movies a lot by myself, especially at the tail end run of a movie when I was the only one guy, in, you know, only one in there in the early BOL days because I could get my own space. Um, but then again, it's so easy and it's not even that expensive anymore to do your home theater i'm a home and it's easy to pause to go to the bathroom to come back it's easy to pause to make popcorn and come back so i can see it both ways but i still think a movie experience is a good thing um i'm less likely to go by myself now i can't even imagine doing it like i've done in the past but i think it's good you know to, to get the family together because in the theater you know, with your kids, they're off the phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's pretty obvious if they're texting on their phone. You know, that thing blares up, blasts up pretty good. So, yeah, I still think it's, you know, especially for young kids, the experience is there. But being at home, man, all the movies stream right away. You know, they're at theaters and streaming on some app you probably got. It's, 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 it's hard to, you know, it's hard to justify going out at those prices for some people, I imagine. I haven't been in a couple of years pre-pandemic for sure. I might be more likely to go if classics were re-released. You know, if you're re-released Raging Bull, something like that, the nostalgia might sweep me up. Even Ferris Bueller's Day Off, something like that. I mean, when Ferris Bueller's Day Off dropped, I went by myself middle of the day probably three times to watch it over and over again. I love that movie so much. But maybe it's Jackass Forever that could get me back into a theater because I've heard people people enjoy that. Some Johnny Knoxville and in the in the crew. I ain't seen Jackass. I wanna watch people die. I got the news. Watch that on MTV on a Sunday night, right? I got YouTube to see dead people. So 
Um, have you got Amstar near you? Because here we have classic movies. I think they run on Sunday. I think so was it West Side Story that you're – No, no, no. It's the remake, which okay. was, All right. Spielberg did. Um, oh, okay. Reviews out the chart. You know, Natalie Wood, believe it or not, was not Latino like she was portrayed in the first one. So I think oh. I think they've adjusted a little bit, and my daughter and wife absolutely loved it. Uh, but no, they'll just have a random movie, especially in the summer. They do um, a cla- They do a classic. You know, they, I think they run it one or two times this week. It's Space Jam. Space Jam runs at two okay. seven p.m. and it good changed. idea. Yeah. But it does have because we've seen and they do it at Christmas too because we went and saw Christmas Vacation at the theater. Um, I know the Alabama theater does some of those old classics too at Christmas. But yeah, if you find an Amstar, they might have that. And it seems like Ferris Bueller would be a no-brainer. I would definitely go see some of those movies. You know what I'd see at a movie theater? You know the number one movie I'd see at a great movie theater is Top Gun. Yeah. time when it came out, that was definitely a great experience at a movie theater. Big screen, you know, surround sound. There's a Spielberg movie I love that got absolutely panned back in the day, and it cost them way too much money to make. Um. 1941 with uh, John Belushi, yes, I, Dan Aykroyd. I mean, it just got hammered in the reviews and lost a lot of money. But I, I, I'd go see that because it, it was a crash them up, you know, ever, had a little bit of everything. A lot of people forget that's a Spielberg flick because it was so outside of sort of his comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's such a serious guy. But this, yeah. they, I haven't seen it, but they loved it. The reviews are great. They loved it. Um, the Natalie Wood version I've always liked. I thought it was good. I mean, it's obviously dated and a little bit of a musical, but um, it was good to see a good, re- you know, hear about a good remake just well, and everything. It was good to catch up with you again here on the podcast. We had a lot of fun, covered a lot of ground on this Tuesday, and certainly we're going to have continuing coverage throughout the day as Jalil Hurley, a 24-7 sports composite five-star prospect, Set to make his announcement later this afternoon, Tim, with a forecast up at the website, BAMOnline.com. Check that out. We'll have that covered again for you throughout the early evening and beyond Alabama men's basketball on Tuesday night at Vanderbilt. You'll want to hang out with us there on the live thread on the roundtable at BAMOnline.com. So a lot covered and still a lot to come, Tim. Absolutely. Look forward to you guys being there. Things starting to pick up. So for Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us here on the Bama Online Podcast. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already. Wherever you consume podcasts, you're going to find us simple as a click or two. And if you leave us a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate that as well. For Tim, I'm Travis. Thanks again. We'll do it again real soon.